Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTSNet2Go. In this podcast, you will be exposed to one of the roundtables that will show you what surgeons today are talking about. Good morning and welcome from the STS annual meeting in Houston, Texas. I'm delighted to be here today with a panel of providers who gave us a fantastic presentation yesterday, Multidisciplinary Response to Emergencies. I'm joined by Mike Colligan, who is a physician's assistant from St. Luke's uh, Texas Heart Institute, uh, Katie DeAngelis, who's a perfusionist from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and Prakash Patel, an anesthesiologist, also from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. My name's Jill Lay. I'm a clinical nurse specialist in uh, surgery at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco. And we would like to just recap some of the highlights of our presentations yesterday. I'd like to start with Katie and ask you if you could describe for me what sorts of things can go wrong during an acute aortic dissection? So um, my focus was on aortic dissection and some of the things that I highlighted were um, potential rupture upon sternotomy, malperfusion, um, cannulating the false lumen, and postoperative bleeding. And could you give us just a quick recap on of what are some of the things that a perfusionist might want to do to make sure that they get, don't get into that sort of trouble? Um, certainly you need to be prepared to crash onto bypass first and foremost, um, and that is certainly team-oriented in the sense of getting involved with the nurses and talking about disposables needed on the field, getting your pump ready with the nurses, and being prepared to respond to any emergency. Thank you. And Michael, you talked about Emergency Institution of ECMO for cardiopulmonary support. What sorts of things are you uh, preparing for with that system? Well, what we really try to do is make sure that uh, every, every time it's kind of a new experience, especially when you go to patients that are in more distant locations in strange parts of the hospital. Um, so what we try to do is really be intentional. After you have this emergency initiation, you want to sit down afterwards and debrief. Now, whether that's with the whole team or just in your department, you want to talk about what happened that went well, what happened that could be improved on, and be in that, that mode of continuous surveillance or continuous refinement where you're looking at your checklist before you go, before you deploy, once you arrive at the scene, and uh, the different kinds of things that you can do to always be better the next time. We also work uh, on building um, scenarios where you can prepare yourself, not for a specific thing that's happening, but uh, um, building mental models so that the next time you have a, a situation that's not exactly identical, but has similar uh, thought processes, you can help to have the clinician be able to, de to deduce the next step without having been specifically trained in that area. And that was a nice point that you made yesterday about, you know, you can't really just sort of learn this and make it work. It's constantly learning how to make it work better. Right. Systems thinking is very important. Good. And thank you so much. And uh, uh, Prakash, you talked yesterday very extensively about TAVR emergencies, and it was interesting to hear how the team has evolved over time. Who's part of your heart team now for your TAVR program? So our, our heart team has evolved quite a bit, as you said, and uh, our team still involves a very uh, intact team. 
similar to when we first started. So we still have an anesthesia provider. There's a resident, uh, since we're a training program as well as an attending, a cardiologist, a cardiac surgeon. We make sure the perfusionist is always there, as well as uh, skilled nurses that are either cath lab focused or TAVR focused. Um, so we make sure that everyone's still there, and it's kind of evolving because the procedures advance so much that it's becoming more and more minimally invasive. And by becoming minimally invasive, we're starting to take away certain resources that we used to have, but we want to make sure that as far as personnel goes, to make sure that we do what's safest for the patient, we're making sure that team stays intact. Absolutely. And what sorts of emergencies did you talk about yesterday? So TAVR uh, can still have some catastrophic emergencies, and they can happen very quickly. So as these procedures become uh, more and more advanced as far as, with the, as far as with the technology goes, we're still seeing emergencies such as ventricular rupture, uh, LVOT or root rupture, which are very catastrophic. We see dissections, uh, patients getting pericardial fusions that become tamponade, uh, malignant arrhythmias that sometimes are in re refractory from being uh, defibrillated. And you showed a very interesting echo, apparently one that you had to look very hard for to find a valve that had actually migrated. Yeah, so sometimes, and that's rare, but sometimes the valve just doesn't sit there, sit where it's supposed to. It doesn't seat in the annulus, and the valve can certainly uh, either become malpositioned or embolized. As we saw in that one video, we had a, a valve uh, fall back into the left ventricle after it was already deployed. Yeah, very impressive video, that's for sure. Um, and Katie, can you talk about uh, the sorts of training that you might do with your team? Uh, are you bringing on new perfusionists, and, and how do you bring them into the team uh, if they haven't worked with uh, these types of cases before? Sure, so um, absolutely, we're actually hiring now. <laughs> um, but when we bring on a new perfusionist, depending on their uh, education level in terms of what they've been exposed to in previous, in previous jobs, um, we certainly have dedicated people that, similar to what you were saying, train the trainer. Mm -hmm. um, we, have our, we have experienced people from 25 years down to three years and to new graduates. So we definitely have our more skilled perfusionists training the newer generation that is coming in for us. And Michael, you talked about putting patients on ECMO in some pr pretty interesting locations. How do you maintain all of the equipment and supplies and everything that you need to go to a remote location like that? Well, it's really trying to be prepared and, and be independent um, from anything that the hospital would provide other than those initial supplies. You know, whatever your uh, portable system is, you have to be ready to roll over elevators that might not be ones intended to get patient beds in and out. Um, areas of the hospital like the cafeteria, the discharge bay, they don't have um, wall oxygen and medical air supplies hooked up. So you have to be prepared to be independent for quite a, a period of time. Uh, battery power, long extension cords, things like that. Just going back into be, trying to be independent and trying to think every time after you've uh, had one arrest, patient rescued, what could you have done or what could you have been prepared for next time? Uh, if it would have been a little bit worse, how could you have offset that? I think that debriefing is really an important part of the learning process because, as you said, every time you go through something like this, you pick up things that may be helpful in a similar situation, not exactly identical, um, definitely. And um, how are you guys preparing for your emergencies? Do you guys do drills or sorts of things to deal with those types of problems? So because the emergencies are quite rare, uh, we kind of have to prepare in advance and we do a pre-procedural timeout to try to make sure that everyone's on the same page and making sure that everyone knows their assigned task or their role in the procedure. We'll have uh, one of the proceduralists, whether it's a surgeon or the cardiologist, kind of verify with everyone in the room that are we ready for the valve deployment and if 
if something goes wrong where we have a, some situation of cardiac arrest or some kind of cardiovascular collapse, everyone knows their role and there's no delay in quickly uh, executing our plan to get the patient stabilized. Um, but that's, that's pretty much how we can get our patients uh, prepared for the emergencies because they really, really are unpredictable. And I think all of this discussion that we, we heard yesterday are those, you know, rare catastrophic events, what can we do to prepare? And one of the things that I mentioned about teamwork was checklists and how those have come out of the aviation industry and something that's quite helpful. Do you have checklists for some of the emergencies that you deal with, Michael? Uh, we don't have um, checklists during the emergency. I think that that's obviously uh, counterintuitive, but we definitely have checklists before, when we have our system set up, our checklists are attempting to prep us uh, for all um, potential events. And you know, we also go back, part of our after action is we try to weekly review um, situations that have occurred and we have stop points in there where we ask the clinicians, we have a round table and we say, what would you have done in this event? And we don't tell them what was done or what they should have done, but we ask them what they would have done and we help to try and build mental models in that way to get everyone thinking in a more system uh, fashion. Thank you. And how about you, Katie? Um, like, like Mike said, nothing for an emergency per se, but um, we have pre-bypass checklists. Anything from are your Air and O2 lines hooked up? Is your anticoagulation adequate? Um, is the patency of the arterial cannula adequate and tested? Things like that to make sure that we have all systems go. Excellent. And are you using any of these sorts of things other than the, the timeout? I know that's a fairly standard procedure, but it sounds like you've added an additional one. Yeah, we added the additional one right before the valve is deployed during TAVARS to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Uh, it doesn't go through a formal checklist, but everyone kind of has their, like we said, uh, their role. And so from my perspective as an anesthesiologist, when we're about to deploy the valve, uh, you know, I'm going to make sure that I've got all my emergency drugs ready to go, whether they're pressors or inotropes. We do a lot of these patients now under sedation because we've evolved so much and rarely are we using general anesthesia, but we have to be ready to convert. So I'll have make sure before the valve's deployed, I take a quick look over, I see that my drugs are there, I see that my airway equipment is prepared and ready to go should I have to intubate this patient, and also have the echo probe ready to go in the room. So if we need to quickly take a look at what's going on with the heart, right after intubation, I'll quickly put in a TE probe so we can kind of get a quick diagnosis because we were saying with a lot of the TAVAR emergencies, they present as hemodynamic instability and we don't really know what the diagnosis is until we can get an image. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the, the key things that I heard is just how much preparation there is that allows these emergencies to proceed smoothly when they do occur. Um, and one of the things, Michael, that you mentioned was, you know, the availability of heparin and things that you may not think about if you are going to be in locations such as this. So um, just in, in wondering if there's any other sort of tips that you might offer a program that is really just getting started on, you know, trying to deploy their ECMO program. What are some of the key things they need to think about to be prepared? Well, I think that probably will have done a good job about thinking about the things that they need, and that's more standard. But I think that uh, really the number one tip is to not be satisfied the first time that you've done it and to go back afterwards. And really the best thing would be to do to go back after each individual deployment and say, what could we have done better? What did we need that we didn't have? And continuously refine. Absolutely. Thank you. And Katie, what about you? What sorts of things would be helpful for a new perfusion team taking on challenging cases? I would think definitely communication amongst the perfusion staff as well as the team in general. Um, I think at our institution we are really good about having communication across the whole room and that's going to be your main indicator for success and getting 
to avoid the chaos. Thank you. We've all been in the chaos, haven't we? <laughs> and how about you? Exactly. I think as Katie uh, emphasized, communication and making sure just everybody's vigilant. Um, we make sure that everyone is comfortable talking to each other and no one should feel uh, like they have to be shied away from saying what they're thinking is, or any major concern that they're having. So if there's any concern that the procedurals have or any concern I have, I'm happy to say it to everybody out loud and make sure that everyone acknowledges it and that we continue to proceed uh, you know, with this in mind. Thank you. And I think that was one of the things that we, I concluded with is just how incredibly important it is that the team feel like they can communicate, they can speak up if they have issues or concerns. And I think it's through that, you know, multidisciplinary training and, and interaction that we all learn to manage to care for patients better. So thank you so much. We're delighted to be here today and uh, we look forward to another presentation. Thank you for listening to CTS Net to Go your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTSNet by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTSNet Video, by following at CTSNet.org on Twitter, or by liking CTSNet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTS Net to Go. Have a great day.